Okay, so again, it's great to be back. Wonderful to see everybody and to uh, restart our Parsha class. So um, I don't know if we're having it next week because I don't know. I hope that I won't be here. I hope to be in Israel for three days. We'll see if it happens or not next week, representing our community, visiting uh, soldiers in hospitals and communities in the south and paying shiva calls and, and bringing things to IDF bases. I'm trying to go with a few rabbinic colleagues representing our community, and if that's the case, we'll go uh, Sunday and be back, uh, leave Wednesday night. But um, I'm not sure yet if it's happening, so we'll keep you posted on the class. Either I'll give it or obviously Rabbi Moskowitz will, but it should be in better times. We'll dedicate our learning this morning, Parshas Masay, to uh, the, the well-being and the safety and security of the, the IDF, our young men and women who are serving courageously and bravely. Uh, we dedicated to Le'ilu Nishmas, the 27 soldiers, the Kedoshim who gave their lives, Hashem Yikom Damam. And uh, we dedicated to our brothers and sisters in Israel. They should have the strength to endure during these uh, horrific, horrific times. Okay, Parshish Masay is page 19 in the Stone Chumash. We will resume our usual uh, practice of doing an overview of the Parsha quickly and then uh, analyzing some of the Psukim textually based on the, uh, the Mephoshim. The Parsha begins, which we'll go through more carefully, but telling us a summary of the journeys the Jewish people took. We'll talk about why here of all places the Torah tells us. Um, and particularly, why does it repeat when we know the journey? We've been on this journey with them. If you're a student of Chumash, if you've been listening to the parasha, you know where we were, and you know where we traveled. So, but nevertheless, the Torah um, lists all of the journeys from when we left Israel through the 40 year, uh, through the 40 years in the desert, 42 encampments where we stopped and where we went, and it goes through uh, it goes through each of them. The Torah continues by telling us the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael which um, is not consistent with the boundaries of Israel today. Um, for example, if you look at the map that the Stone Chumash provides on page 923, you'll see that uh, Lebanon, to the north of Israel, is actually part of biblical Eretz Israel. It's part of the biblical boundary of the land of Israel. There are areas east of the Yardane, for example, where uh, modern-day Jordan is, um, is, uh, is not part of biblical Israel proper in terms of its boundaries, but it is considered an extension of Israel in terms of the mitzvahs atzuliyas ba'aretz, in terms of the mitzvahs that depend on the, on the land. Just a fascinating insight. One of my daughters once said this at our, at our Shabbos table a number of years ago. I thought it was great, and I later saw it in, uh, elsewhere. That when last week's parsha B'nai Gad, B'nai Ruvain, and half of Menasha asked to settle east of the Yardin, and how prescient those words in last week's parsha, when Moshe says to them, What are you kidding me? Your brothers are going to go to war in Israel. You're going to sit comfortably in the palm trees of Boca Raton. You're going to sit comfortably in Tinek in the five towns in LA. You're going to sit east of the Jordan and they're going to go in. You have to do your part. You have to do what you can. You have to participate in, in, uh, in the manner that you can as well. And then Moshe, of course, they say we're gonna uh, we'll build we'll build uh, we'll build houses for our flocks and we'll take care of our children and then we'll join the war. Moshe gives them a little subtle musr. The parsha tells us, no, no, no. You'll take care of your children, then you'll build. They were very focused on on uh, material. They were focused on on uh, on the cattle on their wealth. In fact. That's why if, if you look at the end of our Parsha, we have the Ari Mikla. The end of our Parsha has the story of the cities of refuge. person killed by accident, person murders because of negligence, then the family of the victim have the right to uh, look for justice, to pursue the accidental murderer. And he flees, he finds refuge in a city of refuge in one of the Ari Mikla. How many Ari Miklat are there all together, the Torah delineates? Six. Three in Eretz Yisrael, three in Israel proper, and three where? East of the Yardin. Wonders the Gemara, 
I don't understand. I have nine and a half tribes in Israel, two and a half tribes outside of Israel. Why do I need as many cities of refuge to protect the two and a half tribes as I needed for nine and a half tribes? Do you know what the Gemara answers? Gemara says, when you prioritize materialism, when you prioritize pursuit of wealth, when your values are somewhat skewed, then even accidental murder will become more likely. If your values are not properly calibrated and aligned, then even accidental, unintended negligence can arise. And that's why the two and a half tribes needed as much as the, as the nine and a half tribes. Incidentally, why was it half of Shevet Menashe? It's all of Ruvain, all of God. Why half of Menashe? So I once uh, heard an incredible interpretation, a great interpretation. When you divide a tribe in two, what do you guarantee? What do you ensure? That they'll still feel connected. That they'll still feel a bond. They'll still feel a unity. They'll still feel a peoplehood. Had it been just three units of tribes, three complete whole tribes, they might have felt, oh, we're good. This is the Israel. This is the Jewish people of the land of Israel. This is the Jewish people of the diaspora. But when you take families, right? We all have family who live in Israel. Nieces, nephews, children, grandchildren. We have family in Israel. That develops a different relationship to Israel than if you would be a complete unit outside of Israel. That's why it's half of Menashe. So here we have the boundaries. Oh, so what did I start telling you? So when Reuven got in half of Menashe, said to Moshe, if it's okay, we'd like to live east of the Yardin. They did Moshe an incredible favor. Why? Because they endowed east of the Yardin with an element of Eretz Yisrael, thereby allowing Moshe to gain entry into Israel. Moshe wasn't allowed to go into Israel. Why that is, we've discussed in the past. Moshe was not allowed to go into Israel. Was that a punishment? Was that a description of reality? Whatever the case is, he wasn't allowed in. It was for him, it was unbearable. But when they asked, when they made that request and it was granted, and they endowed the land east of the Yardin with at least an element of sanctity, they essentially invited, they allowed Moshe to get a taste a flavor of having entered Israel. An interesting, uh, an interesting idea. Parsha continues with the leadership again, the leadership of the different tribes, the Yoshua uh, ben Nun, the succession. Then we have the cities of the Levim, the bottom of page nine twenty six. Our parsha continues that uh, in the context of talking about the apportionment of the land for the different tribes, it's important to acknowledge that there is a tribe who are not given their own inheritance, who are not given their own land, and namely the tribe of Levi. They are given cities within everyone else's portion. Cities within everyone else's portion. Why is that? Why is that? This is the origin of the community kolo model. Because the Leviim are the teachers, they are the role models, they are the source of inspiration of the Jewish people. They therefore are provided, they are sustained by the communities in which they live in the form of Meiser, in the form of Truma. If they don't have their own farm, if they don't own their own land, how do they live? Well, that was Parnassa in those days. So therefore, the farmer is obligated to, to uh, take, to tithe a portion of everything that they are able to produce and share it. They have to tithe their money and provide the local kolel so it is free to be able to continue to teach and inspire and so forth. That is the role, that is the job of the Levium. And we then uh, have the cities of refuge, we have the uh, Are Miklat, Torah Parsha ends very interesting with the uh, heads of the tribes come and they say the following, they realized from last week's Parsha as well, from Benos Slavchad from two, uh, two weeks ago's Parsha when Benos Slavchad come to Moshe and they say our father didn't have any sons, just us daughters so 
what, what happens to his land? Do we not, what happens to his name? Do we not continue to get it? And Moshe didn't know the answer. He consults with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he tells them, you're right. This is the law of inheritance. You do inherit. So now the other tribes come the, the, from the same family, from Menashe, and they say, one second. So if our cousins inherit their father, and they then marry someone from another tribe, and the husband essentially shares in the ownership, takes ownership of that land, when the children of the husband will inherit the parents, the father, the land will be transferred to another tribe. And it will break up the, the uh, tribal division of the land of Israel. So therefore there's a prohibition on marrying between the tribes. They create the Torah here. It delineates an obligation to marry within the tribe. How long did this obligation last? It lasted until they went in, until they conquered the land of Israel. Those who learn the Dafyomi know at the end of Masechus Tanis, in the last parak we just uh, studied, that Tuba'av, the 15th of the month of Av, is, uh, we wish we were there already, we could jump over some of the other dates in between, but Tuba'av, the 15th of the month, the month of Av, the Mishnah lists as one of the, ha- the happiest day of the Jewish calendar, together with Yom Kippur. Why? So the Mishnah gives us a number of reasons why Tuba'av is that among the happiest days on the calendar, and one of them is that this ruling was reversed, and intermarriage was allowed between the tribes. Once the land was conquered, it was divided, and the, the fear didn't exist in the same way, the tribes were allowed to marry one with the other. So, asks the Karen Ora, a commentary on the Talmud, on the Gemara, one second, why is that the happiest day of the year for Klai Yisrael, for the Jewish people? That should be the happiest day of the year for the daughters, for the women, for those who are in those particular circumstances where they weren't able to marry. But those who can marry in the land transfers, why is it the happiest day of the year? So Karen Ora gives a fantastic answer. He says, when unity is promoted among the Jewish people, when barriers are removed, it's a source of the greatest unbridled joy and happiness we can have. We as a nation have the greatest happiness when we feel the greatest sense of unity. That's what the Karen Ora you know, uh, two days ago, among the 27 soldiers killed were two lone soldiers, one from L.A., one from Texas. The one from Texas had nobody in Israel. He was a fan of a particular soccer team, and when the soccer t- team heard he was tragically killed, they put on Facebook saying, he has no one in Israel, it'd be nice if people come to his funeral. The funeral was two nights ago, how many people do you think came? Because of a Facebook post. Over 20,000 people in Haifa came to his funeral. That's Achtus, that's Klal Yisrael. The Achtus created when those three boys were kidnapped and murdered. The Achtus, 20,000 people go to a funeral of a stranger. How many knew him? 10? 20? How many out of 20,000 knew, knew the person they were burying? But that's Achtus. That's a joy. There's a, it's the silver lining joy. We can't take any joy during these horrible days. But if it's brought the Jewish people closer together, if it's removed some of the barriers and division, then that, says the Koran Karen Ora, is a source of joy. Okay, Parshas Masa. Let's start from the beginning. Let's go through the Pesukim. Page 918. Page 918. These are the journeys of the Jewish people. And they went forth from the land of Egypt according to their uh, divisions under the hand of Moshe and Aaron. Why is the Torah telling us this here? We've been through them with these journeys. First of all, it's interesting that the Torah is listing the journeys or it introduces it as a, this is a list of the journeys because it's not really a list of the journeys. What is it a list, excuse me, of? The encampments. It should say this is a list of the, of the Machanos. This is a list of the encampments. This is where we stopped. Not this is a list of the journeys. What does that itself tell us? Maybe an idea that the essence of a stop is 
to contribute to your journey. But the essential component is the journey, not your stop. Your journey is made up of many milestones. Our journey has many stops. Our journey, personal journey, collective, national journey, our journey has many places that we pause. But the goal of those pauses is not to rest. It doesn't become permanent. It all contributes to the journey. So the essential part is the Masay. Eila Masay. Echevet. Speak up a little. Right. Yeah, there's a beautiful poem written. There's a beautiful poem. You should go home and Google it called The Dash. I think it's a girl who said it at her father's funeral. And it's all about, right, that's what she said. It was at her father's funeral. The year of birth, the year of date don't matter. It's all about how you fill the dash. And it's a beautiful poem. It's worth looking at. That's right. The journey, the Masai, the stops along the way. So says Rashi, why is this here? Why are these uh, journeys, why are these uh, stoppings listed? It's to tell us the graciousness, the kindness of the Almighty. Because even though God ruled that we deserve to wander in the desert 40 years, one should not think, as many mistakenly do, that the 40 years we were wandering Jews, we had no place to go, we were just blowing in the wind, every day we packed up our stuff and we were homeless people. One should not think that part of God's, uh, part of His enactment was to give us a sense of homelessness. No, as if we had no serenity. Because if you look back, how many encampments were there? 42. Says Rashi, 14 of the 42 took place when? In year 1. Even before the mistake, even before the Chet Maraglam that led to our having to be in the desert for 40 years, 14 of the 42 already were there. So Rashi proves that 14 of the 42 were in year one, even before we won, even before it was established that we had to be in the desert 40 years. And there were eight travels that took place after the death of Aaron, which was recent. So what does it tell us? All 38 years in between, after year one and before the final year, the 38 years in between, in those 38 years, they traveled 20 times. So Rashi is quoting Rav Moshe Hadarshan, the Medrash Agada, who teaches that why is Parshas Masai begin with this? Why are we so interested in hearing about the itinerary? Right, like AAA provided after or before the fact. Here's the AAA itinerary. You could follow it along the map. I, we drove up. We made a road trip up to New York on our vacation, and I drove back. Yechabit flew with the little ones. I drove with some of them. So my my mother, who uh, tends to be very concerned about her children, said she was following along the map. She texts me call every day, milestone. Let me know you're there. You're okay. Right, following along the map, the itinerary, all all the stops. So Rashi quotes from Moshe Adash. Why are we interested? Why are we reviewing this? Why does this matter? If we're at the end of the journey, the destination nation, we're crossing into Israel, it matters because lest we think that God said 40 years wander like homeless people, no, we had menucha, we had dignity, we had our integrity, we spent 38 years where we didn't move around very much, we moved around a lot 
in year one, even before we were uh, punished by wandering the desert, and we moved eight times in year in year forty. In the thirty-eight years in between, we only moved twenty times. A son who was sick, and you took him uh, to a specialist, and on the way back when he's healed, you review everywhere. Do you remember we went to this specialist, and that specialist, you had to go to this hospital, and you got the third opinion over here, and you went to this. So that's the Jewish people. We went through this period of uh, rehabilitation, went through this period of therapy, and on the way back, we're reviewing. You remember we went here, we had to go there, we went to this other place. That's the alternative suggestion Rashi gives of why it is listed. The Rashbam tells us a very practical reason. This is just uh, informational, because the Jewish people, the Torah records in perpetuity the history of the Jewish people. Historically, we want to know where we stopped. Torah is now going to tell us. Some of the places are more significant than the others. Rashi tells us some of the places we're about to mention we never heard of before. Nothing, nothing meaningful happened there for the Torah to have recorded it earlier. It's only recorded here. Look at what the Sforno says. It says the Sforno, why is this listed now? This is now a fourth opinion. We saw two in Rashi, Rav Moshe Adarshan and the uh, Tarhuma. We saw the Rashbam, it's practical, historical, and now the Sforno. says Rav Avadji Sforno, you know what this is? This is not to remind us of the punishment of wandering. This is actually a tribute to the Jewish people. Those 40 years of wandering, these 42 stops, what was the desert like? It was barren. It was wasteland. It had no natural resources. It was empty. And the Jewish people faithfully followed Hashem. They were supposed to have gone right into the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. They were supposed to have set up their nation. They had left Mitzrayim for a better future. And yet consequence of their own actions they spent 40 years wandering in the desert but they wandered faithfully they followed a Kodesh Baruch where is that Pasuk from? It's from last week's Haftorah. Last week's Haftorah was the first of the Gimel de Puranusa, the first of the three sad, inauspicious Haftorahs we read before Tisha B'Av. It is the opening parak of Yirmiyahu Anavi, and at the end of the parak, uh, every parak, every parak, we have a Haftorah we read, even when it describes calamity, it ends with hope. And what's the end? This Pasuk is famous for us, the Yom Noraim, and a beautiful Jewish song, but it comes from the Haftorah of last week, of Yirmiyahu Anavi, the opening parak. I remember the kindness of your youth. Says Hashem that you followed after me in a barren land. So I once heard a question. What's the matter with the Kosh Baruch Hu's memory? I remember the kindness of your youth. You followed after me. What a wonderful time that we had. Faithful 40 years of... Does God not remember? They complained miserably. They were a difficult people. They were ungrateful. They were never satisfied. They rebelled. What do you mean? It's been wonderful. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's awesome. So I, uh, I was once, I traveled to a funeral um, of a beloved friend. And Rabbi Avi Weiss had traveled to the same uh, funeral. And uh, the next morning, I met him in the airport. His flight was delayed. It was, it was in Elul. He was working on drushes. I asked him, what are you working on? So he was working on this question. He said, what's pshat? Are you kidding me? So he gave a great answer. Said Rabbi Weiss, said Rav Avi. A 
Kodesh Baruch Hu, though he has the perfect memory, chooses to employ a selective memory. And that's on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur what we remind ourselves. You want to have meaningful relationships, functional relationships? Have a selective memory. That doesn't mean deny the pain people have caused you. Work it out, communicate, and so on. Hold them accountable. But it means ultimately when your children graduate and leave your home, don't remember the rebelliousness and the misery and the complaints and the dissatisfaction. Have a selective memory like Hashem. So says the Sforno as they're in their 40th year. Remember our Parsha, the end of Bamidbar, this is it. Dvarim is all takes place in span of a couple days. Moshe is giving a speech, a soliloquy, a monologue to the Jewish people before they enter the land. The end of Bamidbar, this is the end of the 40 years. This is it. And why does it begin with Masay? Says the Svarno? Because the Kodesh Baruch Hu says, at the end of these 40 years, I have selective memory. I don't want to remember about your being thirsty and about your being hungry and about the meat sticking between you. I don't want to remember about your rebelliousness and about your... I want to remember the Chesed Neurayach. The Chesed Neurayach. And that's why we begin with Masay. So why do we begin Masay? We saw two reasons in Rashi, a reason in the Rashbam, and this beautiful reason of the Sephora. We continue. Pasuk Beis. Ve'ichtov Moshe's motza'ayim l'mas'ayim al-pi Hashem ve'ela mas'ayim l'motza'ayim. Moshe wrote down, and this is a complicated translation. How do you translate these words? Moshe wrote down motza'ayim. Their goings forth l'mas'ayim according to their journeys al-pi Hashem ve'ela mas'ayim l'motza'ayim. And these are their journeys according to their going forth. Kind of bizarre language. Motza'ayim. First of all, why the change? Motza'ayim, the Masa'ayim, Masa'ayim, the Motza'ayim. Motza'ayim means like Latzeis, Yotzei, to go out. They're going out. Masa'ayim means journey. So Moshe wrote down, Vayachtov Moshe. Moshe wrote down. We have to see why is the Torah telling us Moshe wrote it down. Moshe wrote down the whole Torah. What's the significance of saying he wrote down specifically their uh, AAA itinerary here? A. But significantly, why the change? Motza'ayim, the Masa'ayim. Mas'ayim l'motza'ayim. So let's see what the Mepharshim tell us. Says the Yorachayim HaKadosh. Tzorach l'adas, ma'amo d'yeno ha'kosu b'ma'amazeh. What's the Torah telling us? Im l'amashem Moshe Kosu. If it's that Moshe wrote it down, halokol Torah Moshe Kosu. Moshe wrote the whole Torah. What is it adding? V'amasos ha'ksuv m'atorah michlal ha'torah. And these journeys are included in the Torah. Last we checked, Parshas Masa is part of Chomish. Why do you have to tell me Moshe wrote this? As if Moshe didn't write everything else. A. B. It should say Moshe wrote the journeys. Why does it say Motzaim? Od lama chazalama the ela masaim. Halok for Amar ela masai. Od lama shina betchila hiktim lama le motzaim. Achar kach Amar le masaim. Viachar kach hiktim chibas le masaim. The tevas le masaim. The tevas le motzaim. Which is it? Motzaim masaim. Going out the journey. What's the right order? Why is it repeated? Why does it say again the ela masaim? The whole pasuk is bizarre. Says Rav. Says the Orachayim. So listen to this. Wild. When did Moshe in fact record this? When did Moshe write it? Is it at the end of 40 years that he sat down and now listed all the places they had gone? Says the Archaim, no. I love that. Pinkaso. Pinkas is a modern Hebrew word too. Child in school has a little pinkas. He walks around with a little pad. Moshe, when they left Egypt, wrote in his little notebook, because God commanded him to, 
The day they left Egypt, Moshe writes a little diary. Day one, we left Egypt. If you look in the Parshas preceding, it does mention the travels. So that's when Moshe wrote it. When they encamped and when they journeyed, each time Moshe would write in his little notebook, we settled here, we stayed this much time, then we packed up, and we headed out there. Right On my little road trip, we would constantly tell the kids, let's remember, what did we do yesterday? What did we do the day before? Where are we going tomorrow? Let's review. As they went in the little notebook, in the little diary, Moshe wrote. And then at the end, until they arrived at Arvos Moav, Take your notebook, put together these travels, the itinerary, and publish, print the itinerary within the Torah as the beginning of Parshas Maseh. And that's why it says now, not to suggest that Moshe didn't write the rest of Torah, but to tell us Moshe took the list he had been recording all along in his pinkas, and he now publishes it in the Torah. Very interesting. Yes. There's no destination. It's where we went from and it's our journey. Where we went from and our journey. Where we went from and our journey. Yep. Very interesting. Says the Kliyakar. Says the Kliyakar. So it starts off by saying, They're going out and journey. Then it says their journey according to their going out. When it says they're going out according to their journey, it's Al Piyashem. It's according to the instruction of God. When it says their journey according to their going out, it doesn't say Al Piyashem. What's going on? So the Kliyakar says, I've got three suggestions why the Pasuk reverses the order. Number one, He says, because sometimes their journey brought them forward and sometimes their journey brought them back. Sometimes their journey took them closer to the destination, the Promised Land, and they were wandering. Remember, if you follow it, part of the time they were going back towards where they came from. That's why it's Motza'eim, where they went out to Motza'eim, is progress. Masayim lamotzayim is regress. Is returning. I think that's a very important pshat. I see the you know the the Hasidic Sfarim, the Sfarim Akedoshim, and some mainstream. I shouldn't say mainstream. It's not the right word. Litvashem Mefarshim also describe that the beginning of Parshas Masa is not just describing the journeys of the Jewish people, but it's a description of the journey of each of our lives. Motzayim lamasayim. Again, the, the going forth and the journey. You know, sometimes we don't understand why we had to make certain stops and certain destinations in our life. We don't understand why we had to live there, why we had to experience this, why we had to meet that person, why we had to go through that hurt, why we had to experience that loss. But it's all part of our journey. It all leads towards our progress. You know, according to this shadow of the Kliyakar, in our lives, sometimes we make progress and sometimes we regress. Sometimes we go forward and sometimes we take a step or two back. What matters is the end. What matters is that we recommit ourselves and that we are ultimately headed towards the destination. That word motza'ayim, Rabbi Bini Friedman, many of you know him, he's still here. So in an essay, Rabbi Bini Friedman says that word motza'ayim, again from that sense of yitziyah, departure. But where did we really depart from? Really, this entire story is a departure from Egypt. I mean, the truth is, instead of talking about 42 journeys and 42 stops, you could have talked about one departure, one destination, and one journey. 
Right? I mean, if I go to Israel and I happen to stop in London because that's my stop to refuel or whatever the case may be, I don't tell you I went. I say I went to Israel. If you ask me, how'd you get there? Oh, I had to stop. But if you ask me where you went, I'd say, I went to Israel. So really, we left Egypt, we went to Israel. It happened to have 42 stops. Only if someone says, where'd you stop? Should you list where you stop? But really, it's a story of leaving Egypt and it's a story of coming to Israel. So suggests Rabbini, there were 42 leavings of Egypt. Motza Ayem, we kept leaving. Each stop, what we go through in life, we continue to sometimes purge ourselves of something we need to rid ourselves of. We had to, this, were, this was 42 stops to purge the slave mentality of Egypt. The desert was the incubator of the Jewish people, taking us through our maturation from adolescence or from childhood through adolescence. There was motza ehem, to, to yitzia, to leave, to exit. We had to keep leaving Egypt. We have to keep leaving where we came from to continue to go where, where we were heading. You know, Mitzrayim, says Rabbini, from the word Metzar, is a narrow place. Eretz Yisrael is a wide open place. The desert is an open place. We were leaving a very narrow place in our lives. We were going to an open place in our lives. And it took 42 stops in our personal lives. Sometimes we need to get rid of, purge ourselves. We need to transcend. We need to pass an experience. Maybe there's multiple stops in order to do it. And we don't understand why some of them took us backwards. We wanted all of them to take us forwards. But again, the key is to keep our eye on the destination in this journey and to progress forward. Yes? That's why in the minute of Chabad, the second Aliyah, on Shabbos afternoon, Monday and Thursday, the second Aliyah goes through all the Masors. We don't break up because the Rebbe said it's, it's all one. It's all part. Oh, it's very interesting. Okay, so, so the Lubavitch practice is even when you're only Monday, Thursday, Shabbos, Mincha, reading part of it, that you don't stop it where it says in our Siddur Rishon, you read all the journeys because you can't stop the journey halfway and suggest the Jewish people's destination was still the middle of the desert. You have to realize that it's really a process from Egypt to Israel, though it's made up of many stops. Really, this is a symbol of Elio Monk, as Zatzal says. This is also to give us faith in our desert experience. Right? Prophetically knowing the Jewish people would go through periods of exile. And when we're in our exile, we go through 42 stops. Why is it we had to stop with an Inquisition and the Crusades and a Holocaust? Why is it we had to have some of these stops? Some of them were glory periods, the golden years. Some of them were horrific. But really our journey too begins leaving somewhere and culminates in a destination. In the case of the Jewish people, it's our longing for Mashiach and there are many stops. And when we find ourselves in one of those stops and we can't imagine we can't imagine continuing along the way. We read Parsha's Masay and we remember that the Jewish people had 42 stops, but each encampment, they continued along the way until they got to our de- their destination. And so too, though we have these stops and we feel a sense of despair and despondency, we don't give up. That we will exit, we will have a going forth, we will return to our journey until we reach our destination. That this is supposed to give us a sense of uh, hope and longing for the future as well. The uh, Kliyakar gives two other explanations, but I don't want to take the time now. You can look at it inside and see the uh, three complete explanations that the Kliyakar gives. So, so the Orchayim noted the difference in the Pasuk and gave his pshat. The Kliyakar notes it and gives three pshatim as well. The, um, the Ramban. Look at the Ramban. It's really halfway through the Ramban where he begins, This is going back on why we began. 
We asked, why do we have Masa at all? Rashi told us two reasons. Either number one to tell us we didn't wander homelessly, we had Manucha, we had rest. Right? In the 38 years in between, we only traveled 20 times. Number two, he quoted from the Tanchuma, because like a father takes his sick child on the way home, oh, remember we went to this doctor and that specialist in this hospital, and you review everything. Here too we review. The Rashbam says historically we're recording in perpetuity, and the Sforno said the selective memory of the Almighty that after the fact we only look at the positive. So the Ramban gives us a fifth reason. According to the Rambam, The Rambam Ramban quotes the Rambam, a fifth reason why we need to know about these journeys. Because you know what happened in each of these stops? You know what happened these 40 years? When a person reads this list and says, how'd they make it? 40 years, barrenness, emptiness, no natural resources. How'd they make it? You can't make it through the desert for a week. 40 years, 42 stops. How? There's only one answer. The miracles of the Almighty. So says the Rambam, this is not to disparage the Jewish people that we were punished, but rather it is to remind ourselves at the end of our journey, the end of Bamidbar to say, wow, the only way we made it was because of the goodness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In the future people will say, ah, the man, don't really believe it. Ah, the be'er, the water that came from the well, ah, don't believe it. Ah, the protective clouds, the pillar of fire, ah, not so sure. Skeptics and cynics. Says the Ramban, quoting the Rambam, you ask the skeptics and cynics, how do we make it 40 years? Let's review the 42 journeys. Let's review the 42 stops. How do we make it? There is only one explanation. The only way we made it was through the miracles. We list all the places to remind ourselves of the miracles. If you apply that to Rabbi Monk's interpretation, that's true for Jewish history. When we review Jewish history and the many destinations along our journey and you say, how do we do it? Countless systematic attempts for our annihilation, extermination. When we sit on Tisha B'av and we remember the Crusades and the Inquisition, and we remember the Holocaust, and we remember this, uh, how many intifadas and how many uh, rockets from Hamas and how much of the world's condemnation. And how is it that we're still here? How do we make it? It's only because of the miracles of the miracles of Hashem. Okay, so that ends the opening of the Parsha. Masay, five explanations. Why do we care about recounting? We saw the Orachayim, the Kliyakar, Rav Monk. There's other interpretations. Why Motza'ein, the Masayim, Masayim, the Mosayim. We saw the application for the journey of our own personal lives as well. Where I want to pick it up is Pasuk Nun. Perak Lamed Gimel, Pasuk Nun, in the Stone Chumash, Banam, page 920. You see there is a uh, stima here. There is a break. So this shows us it's the beginning of a new section thematically. Everyone see where we are? Three lines from the bottom of page 920. Three lines from the bottom. Perak Lamed Gimel. Chapter 33, verse 50. God spoke to Moshe in the Arvos Moav on the banks of the Jordan. They're poised to enter the land. The journey is complete. The destination is before them. This is it. This is a message I want you to give them, says God, as they're poised, about to cross the Yarden. 
That little Jordan River, if you've gone rafting down the Jordan, if you've seen the Jordan, you know, you read the Torah and you get the impression that Jordan is like... There's some places you can walk across the Yardin, uh, you know, on a couple of uh, stones. But when you cross that Yardin, you're about to cross that Yardin. Pasuk Nen Beis, very significant Pasuk. V'horashtem es kol yoshvei ha'aretz m'pneichem, v'ibadtem es kol maskiyosam, v'es kol tsalmei masechosam ta'abedu, v'es kol bamosam tashmidu. This Parsha is so prescient, it's so prophetic, it's so uh, insightful, and it's so informative for today. Although I will let you extrapolate the lessons. Says the Pasuk, says the Pasuk, 52, Says the Pasuk, you should drive out when you come in, Vahorashtem, drive out the inhabitants of the land, Vibaritem, and you should destroy all of their idolatry, all of their foreign values, all of their corruption. And all the images, get rid of them, Ta'abedu, Tashmidu, and all of their altars, all of their false gods, all of their jihads, and all of their what they think is the name, get rid of it. Get rid of the idolatry and the corruption and the false values, and then you are ready to inherit the land, then you are her- ready to settle it because I'm giving this land to you. And how will you settle it? Through a lottery. Through a lottery. It's proportional to the size of the tribe. It's fair. It's a fair division of the land according to the proportion of the size. But ultimately, who determines who gets the north, the south, the east, the west, which part? It's through a lottery, the Almighty. How the lottery turns out, that's what you get. According to the tribes, you will inherit. So said, they cross the Yardin. Seven years they conquer the land and they are instructed, though they fail, and we continue to pay for it till today, to drive out the foreign influences and the idolatry from the land. Seven years they then divide the land. That's 14 years. And only then does the Shemitah cycle begin in year 14. First Shemitah was 21 years after entering the land. And if you don't try out the inhabitants, what happens if you don't get rid of those foreign values and the corruption? What happens if you don't get rid of those who don't believe that you are entitled to that land? Says the Torah. Then there are going to be pins in your eyes. They're going to... They're going to, uh, those that you leave there will continue to harass you. And thorns in your sides, and they will harass you. And what I really wanted to do to them, I'm going to do to you. Because you have absorbed their values, rather than following mine, says Hashem. Look at Rashi. Pasuk Nanalaf. says, Rashi, come upon him, huzru akach. Torah has already told us so many times, this is your land, you're going to inherit the land, this is the destination, this is where we're headed, this is where it's all about. Why again? Says Rashi, Moshe. Moshe turns to the people and he says, When you cross, you know, the, the Yardin miraculously split, just like the sea. The book of Yeshua tells us. In the sea it split into two pillars. Yardin went only one pillar. Amenas came to Avoru. This is why you're entering the land. Vim love. 
And if you don't have in mind the pure motive for why you're entering the land, if you don't understand that entering the land is the fulfillment not of a nationalistic yearning, but of a religious yearning, of a yearning to fulfill the will of the Almighty, of His blueprint for you, of His desire for your realization as a nation and a homeland. Your motive has to be pure. If when you're entering that land, you're not doing it in order to fulfill God's vision, but you're doing it for some nationalistic, independent, atheistic purpose, then the water is going to fall upon you and drown you. While they were yet in the Jordan crossing, says Rashi, Yoshua told the people thus, that you have to be purely motivated. Understand, Israel's not like any other land. This is a place that you feel the Shekhinah more than anywhere else. When you come into that land, it's not to fulfill some secular political vision, but it's to fulfill the biblical vision. It is to fulfill the vision of God for the world. If you rid the land of its inhabitants, then you can inherit it. Then you can dwell in it. If you don't, they will be a thorn in your side. There will be rockets on your head. There will be suicide bombers in your cafes. They will literally and figuratively try to corrupt you and drive you out until you are no longer there. Says the Ramban. Look at this critically important Ramban. Incredible Ramban. Pasuk Nun Gimel. Al dati zu mitzvahs asehi. Yitzave osam sheyeshu ba'aretz v'yeshu osa. Says the Ramban Nachmanides, this pasuk that we just read, they'll rush them, inherit the land and dwell in it. This is for I'm giving it to you. This is the source, this pasuk of the mitzvah to live in Israel. It's awkward to teach you this sitting in Boker Atom. You should all have in mind when we're making Aliyah, not if. Says the Ramban, this is the source of the biblical mitzvah to make Aliyah. And lest you have in mind, I like the idea of Jewish peoplehood. Let's go elsewhere. I'm reading this biography of Jabotinsky over the summer. We all know the Uganda plan when it was suggested, it was proposed at a Zionist Congress that the Jewish people, let's get our own land. We'll start with getting Uganda. Do you know that the, the Mizrahi, the religious Zionists, voted in favor of that plan? Shocking to me. Now why? Because they thought it's a first step. If we first get our own nationhood, then we can, from there. Thank God it didn't happen. But this is almost, listen to what the Ramban says. Lest you think, let's go conquer Shinar, Eretz Ashur, we'll go take uh, Syria, Assyria, we'll go conquer elsewhere. What matters is where there are people. Whether it's this plot of earth, or that plot of earth, this hill, that mound, ah, we'll go to Uganda. Says the Ramban, You're violating Hashem's mitzvah if you do. The mitzvah is to go to Israel. The fact that our rabbis tell us in the Quran Subas, the Mishnah there tells you that if you want to go to Israel and your wife refuses to come, then you don't have to pay for a ksuba. If she wants to go to Israel and you want to stay, then you're obligated to divorce her and you're obligated to pay the ksuba. There's a mitzvah to go to Israel. You're not allowed to leave. And so on, says the Ramban, quoting this Gemara Ksubas. So for the Ramban, this this is the source of the mitzvah to enter the land of Israel. Not everybody agrees. The Rambam, 
omits the mitzvah to live in Israel. The Rambam does not list it as one of the 613. The Ramban does. Why does the Rambam leave out the mitzvah to move to Israel? So, the Stechemet suggests he left it out because he holds it's a mitzvah of There's a rabbinic commandment to go to Israel, settle the land. But the Rambam 613, he's listing the biblical mitzvah, so he doesn't list it at all. The Megillah Sester, a commentary in the Rambam, says even further, no. You know why the Rambam doesn't list it? Because there is no mitzvah. Writes the Megillah Sester, Nira Li, when was there a mitzvah to settle the land and inherit it? Conquer the land? In the time of Yoshua, in the time of David Amelach, because man before we were ever exiled. But since we have been exiled, and this is the source of a Satmar philosophy and others, that one is not obligated at best or forbidden in their opinion at worst to conquer, settle, to move to Israel until Mashiach comes. When was there a mitzvah of Yeshiva Aretz? Moshe, Yeshua, David. Once we were exiled and God said, I want you out, we don't come back until He invites us. Now we interpret 1948, 1967, 1973 today as the ultimate invitation from Hashem. But those suggest, including the Miguel Esther, that the only expression of an invitation from Hashem is the arrival of Mashiach. Others, the there are other aspects of moving to Israel that the Rambam addresses, talks about. It's obvious, it's unnecessary. We Paskin, is it a mitzvah to move to Israel? The Magan Avram goes so far, of Avram Gambiner. And Orachayim Reish says, not only is it a mitzvah, he says, I'll tell you what he's commenting on. First let me read to you the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch, we Paskin, Simen Reish Memdal, Orachayim. Ha'ul la'eretz Yisrael, im nizdamna lo shayara afilu be'erev Shabbos, kevun de'devar mitzvah hu yachol lefrosh, uposak imahem Lishpos. says the Shulchan Arach that you know you're not allowed to travel three days before Shabbos on a major journey because you might encounter Sakana and you might be obligated to be Mechal Shabbos Shulchan Arach is talking about the, uh, when you're allowed to leave on a journey right? which becomes a halacha question today can you take a flight on a Friday what if you'll be delayed what's going to happen when on Friday is it different today than it was then but in that context Shulchan Arach says you know that's all true for Stam journey but let's say you have a caravan passing that could take you to move to Israel. You want to move to Israel and there's a caravan, you have a flight that's going. Ah, uh, what if the flight might encounter Mitzvah? Since you're going to do a mitzvah by moving to Israel, you can coordinate, you can arrange to go with them. Not you can't be Mechal Shabbos, not saying Nefesh Benefesh will fly on Shabbos, but it means that some of the fear and apprehension that we have, we set it aside because of the mitzvah. The Dvar Mitzvah, Kevin the Dvar Mitzvah is the language of the Shulchan Aruch. Magan Avram says this is true not only if you plan to move to Israel, you're taking a Nefesh Benefesh flight, writes the Magan Avram, even if you're going to Israel, but you're going to come back. Because if you take four steps in Israel, you walk four Amos in Israel, six feet in Israel, it's a mitzvah. Every four cubits you walk in Israel is a mitzvah. Even if you're going on a mission, on a journey, you're going to Sukkot and you're going to come back. That too is what the Shulchan Aruch was talking about. The Dvar Mitzvah Lifrosh. Lamaisa, what do we say? Rav Moshe Feinstein and Shuva Chelikal Simon Kuf Beis in uh, the Rav Moshe Paskins that there is a mitzvah to move to Israel. It's what Rav Moshe calls a mitzvah kiyumis, not a mitzvah chiyuvis. What does he mean by that? Is a man obligated to wear tzitzis? 
We don't tell little boys this. But the reality is there's no mitzvah for a man to wear tzitzis. If he's wearing a four-cornered garment, he can't wear the four-cornered garment unless he has tzitzis. So when you wear tzitzis, you're fulfilling a mitzvah. Are you obligated to put on a four-cornered garment and wear tzitzis? No. We do it because we say it's the easiest mitzvah in the world. You're putting something on and you're getting a mitzvah the whole time you're wearing it. So we're machanech, we educate our young boys, the mitzvah put on your tzitzis. Only when they get a little older do they learn the secret. And then they start to cut some corners. It's hot, farda. But that it's a mitzvah. Kiyumus, not chiyumus, fine. But says Rav Moshe, Aliyah, moving to Israel, if when you move you fulfill a mitzvah, but it's not a mitzvah that you're obligated in. That's Rav Moshe's interpretation. But all this I share with you, the Ramban, the Rambam, is the Rambam mean there's no mitzvah? We saw the Megillah Esther. We saw the Stechem, it says it's the Terabonan. We saw others that say, of course the Rambam includes it as a mitzvah daraisa. We saw the, uh, the Rav Moshe says a mitzvah kiyumis. All comes from this Pasuk, V'horashtem esa'aret v'yishavtem ba. What is this Pasuk doing here? Wonders of Rosenzweig. Rosenzweig is Rosh Shiva at uh, Yeshiva University. What is Why is this mitzvah specifically here? So Rashi, according to Rashi and according to Unklus, it's here because it's a mitzvah to eradicate idolatry and other spiritual problematic influences. So why is it here? Because we're talking about the division of the land, the conquest of the land, and in the context of dividing and conquering the land, the Torah is telling us, get rid of the idolatry. But as for Rosenzweig, according to Ramban, that the Pasuk is a mitzvah to move to Israel, why are you telling me about the mitzvah to move to Israel specifically within the context of the discussion of the consequences of neglecting the spiritual environment of Israel? So says Rav Rosenzweig, very beautifully, in an article uh, you could find on TorahWeb.org, says Rav Rosenzweig that the Parsha, our Parsha, Masse, establishes a link that Eretz Yisrael is not merely a nachala, an inheritance, but it's a morasha. It's the heritage and legacy. That means to say that it's not automatic. It's not inevitable. It requires a certain element of our earning it. The apportionment of the land. And that's the theme throughout the Parsha, he says. That the land of Israel is not like another land that I can produce for you my deed, I own it, and no one can ever take it away. The land of Israel and our relationship to it is dependent not on the land but our relationship with the true owner of the land, namely Hashem. Essentially, the land of Israel is perpetually on loan to us and never owned by us and is dependent on our, our um, relationship with Hashem. That's why Rosenzweig says, isn't it funny that you divide the land based on a goral, based on a lottery? It makes sense you're dividing it proportionally according to the size of the tribe. So divide it according to the size of the tribe. What's the essence of the lottery? The lottery means that you're including Hashem. What's a lottery? Hashem decides who gets what. There's no complaints. You get what you get and you don't get upset. It comes from Hashem. Life in Eretz Yisrael requires a higher spiritual standard. That's the message of the Parsha. To merit the land, to merit to continue in the land, requires a higher spiritual standard and relationship. And that's why the very end of the Parsha, Torah says, Eretz Yisrael cannot tolerate immorality or violence. Eretz Yisrael cannot tolerate it. It cannot tolerate it. So Ramban's view is that the Torah specifically tells us about the mitzvah to move to Israel in the context of understanding what it takes to merit to stay there. To understand the spiritual connection. That's why we also have the Ari Miklat, he says in this parsha, Because it underscores the spiritual agenda that's inseparable from the settlement of Eretz Yisrael. 
the spiritual agenda. By the way, what do you do in the Ir Miklat? The Ir Miklat, your term in the Ir Miklat depends on the life of whom? The Kohen Gadol, the highest spiritual person. And what do you do in the Ir Miklat? Mishnah tells us that the Talmud Shagala, the Ir Miklat, Rabbi Golay Mayim, his Rebbe goes with him. He sits and he learns Torah. He sits and he becomes a better person. He sits and he figures out why were my priorities skewed such that I was able to have, have even through negligence somebody loss of life on my hands. So you see that that's the theme throughout this parsha. He says is that we merit Israel, we merit to remain in Israel, we merit peace in Israel dependent on our spiritual connection and appreciation and relationship with Hashem. He doesn't say this but I want to tell you an incredible Bach. The tour the tour in Orachayim, Simen Reishches, the tour, this Rav Yaakov ben Asher, the son of the Rush, who was the first to codify in four sections all of Jewish law, the Arbaturim. So the tour in Simen Reishches, which is the laws of brachos, the Birchas Anenin, the blessings that we make before food, the blessings we make after food. So here the tour is talking about the bracha of Alamechia. When you eat from the five grains, uh, or if you eat from... Uh, the wine you eat some fruits in Israel and so on you have to make a alamechia so writes the tour some discrepancies within the specifics right we know hopefully we all know the text of the bracha of alamechia what's the bracha blessed are you Hashem on the nourishment on the sustenance that you've given us that which comes from the field on the beloved land, the precious land, the, the uh, wide land, that you wanted to and that you bequeathed to our forefathers. And why did you bequeath it? To eat from its fruit, and to become sated, to become satiated from its goodness. Take pity on the Jewish people and on Yerushalayim and on Zion and Uvnei Yerushalayim and Rebuild because God, you are good for all. Right? We're familiar. That's the bracha of Alamechia after you have a delicious donut, cookie, cupcake, and so on. A bowl of pasta. That's the Alamechia that we say. So then the tour goes on and he quotes different of the early commentaries who change the language a little bit here, a little bit there, have different versions. And listen to what he says. Some say, in the context of Alamechia, we say, we eat from its fruit and we're satiated from its goodness. The Ein Omro says the Torah, don't add that in the words of Alamechia. She'ein lachmod ha'aretz b'shvil piriya v'tova el l'kayim ha'mitzvah bo Adkan. His quote on Rabbi Yono says, Don't say those four words in Alamechia, suggesting that why do we long for Israel? Because they've got the best continental breakfast in the planet. <laughs> Their fruit is so fresh and delicious and succulent and sweet. The vegetables are incredible. Don't say, even though it's true, that we long for Israel because of the fruit and because of the goodness of the land. Why do we long for Israel? The Kayim Amitzosatzuliyosba. To do the mitzvos, take out the words, take out those four words. That's the tour. Comes along the Bach of Yol Sirks, the Bach and his commentary on the tour. Listen to what he says. Tema, I don't understand what he's talking about. Halo Says the 
Bach, the tour is missing the point. Do you know why we're praising the fruit and the goodness of the land? Because this is a land unlike any other. When you eat a red pepper that was grown in Idaho, when you eat an f- uh, orange that was plucked in South Florida, so all you care about is the physical orange, all you're eating is the red pepper. But when you eat a red pepper, an orange that was grown in Israel, the red pepper orange have Shekhinah in them. There's spirituality in them. You're imbibing the spirituality, the presence of the Almighty, who only through His graciousness did they grow. You see, the rainfall in Florida and the rainfall in Idaho, that's part of the geological cycle and the natural science, nature that God put into motion. But Eretz Yisrael is a place, Eine Hashem, that God's eyes are always on. We, we rely elsewhere on irrigation. Israel, we rely only on rainfall, on the Almighty. Israel is a place that we're sustained. So when you eat that red pepper, when you eat that orange, when you take a bite into it, and you say, I want to go to Israel to eat from its fruit, and to benefit from its goodness, says the Bach, you're tasting the Shekhinah within what you eat. Because you only merit it if you merit a relationship with the Almighty. And says the Bach, why am I telling you this now? That's what the Torah tells us at the end of our Parsha of Masai. That's why the Parsha ends and says, Do not defile the land. Do not push me out. Do not corrupt the land. Do not corrupt your values, your lifestyle. Remain true to me, faithful to me, says Hashem, because this land will only produce if you are. If you defile the land, then it will be defiled within the fruit and the vegetables as well. It's not just some spiritual idea that God says, I'll withdraw my countenance. God's withdrawing countenance means the land becomes barren. For our 2,000 years of exile, though countless tried to drain the swamps and to plant the fields and to make Israel flourish, they failed. It's only when we merited the land, it's only when we returned to the land, it's only today, to me, this is a further expression of the invitation of Hashem to return to Israel, only today after 2,000 years is the land blossoming and flourishing and we succeed in draining the swamps. Has the Shechina returned to the red pepper and the orange? And so on and so forth. So says the Bach, in this incredible interpretation, dare you, do not omit When you say that we long to go to Israel, and the Bach was writing in a time we can go to Israel and have that continental breakfast every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We can even go to Costco and buy the red pepper from Israel here in Boca. What the Bach would have given for that opportunity. When he was talking about these four words in Alamechia, he was talking in a time of exile and persecution. He was talking in a time that you can only dream of going to the land. And he describes... How dare you omit it? Our longing to taste from the fruit and experience the goodness of the land is not some physical benefit. It's not that I want to go to the Carmel Spa because they give the best massage. It's when I eat from the great fruit of Israel. I taste the Shekhinah. I feel God's love. I feel His warmth. I feel His connection because only through it do we merit, do we merit that land. There's a last interpretation. Meribir Shechter quotes one of his Rebbeim, Rav Yerucham Gorelik, who quoted from the Brisker Rav, from Revelvel, that another reason to disagree with the Bach, to disagree rather with the tour quoting Rabbeinu Yonah, is that we're not talking about fruit. It's not that I long to go to Israel where I could taste the delicious fruit. We're talking about Neta Ravai and Maiser Sheni. 
there are certain fruits which halachically could only be eaten in Israel. When you separated your produce, in, I'm sorry, in Yerushalayim, you separated your produce, your Maiser Shani, your Netaravai, and you had to bring it to Yerushalayim to eat it. That's what we're longing for in the bracha of Allah And said the Briska Rav, that's why, what are the words that follow? God, build Yerushalayim, restore Yerushalayim, and we can eat from its fruit, and so on. Not fruit mama, not fruit randomly, but the fruit that we merit, the Netaravai and the Maiser Sheni, which can only be eaten in Yerushalayim. What we're longing for is a return of the Mitzvah Satsuliyos Ba'aretz. Again, a return that we, thank God, in our day have merited to see. So we see in our Parsha, I think our Parsha, both the beginning and here in the end, or in the middle, really summarizes what we're going through together in Israel today. The Masay, that, that our journey from exile to redemption has many stops along the way. And even when we feel we're there, as we do with the return of, of the modern state of Israel, the miracle of the modern state of Israel, we have to remember that there are still stops. We're not yet there. And we're on one of those stops right now. But we have to keep our eye on the ball of the destination one. And the other message of the Parsha, what Rav Rosenzweig says, is the theme of the whole Parsha. We see it the Ramban's mitzvah. To move to Israel is that the relationship with the land of Israel is not a relationship with Uganda or Assyria. It's not a relationship with Boca Raton or Tinek or the five towns. It's a relationship that is based on Shechina. That through our values and priorities, we either draw Hashem or we turn Him away. That's what the three weeks are about. When we failed Hashem, when we failed to live His value system, and His number one value is that we treat each other nicely. When we were divisive and judgmental and neglected one another, God said, I am out of here. He, Silo Kashchina. That's what Tisha B'Av is all about. That's what we're trying to repair during these three weeks. God said, I am withdrawing my presence. I'm not going to live here in Israel. And you'll see the land will dry up so quickly. And you will be exiled so quickly because I don't want to be here if you don't want me here. We turn to God in these three weeks and we work on saying, no, we want you back desperately. We're going to treat your children nicely. We're going to all get along. Please come back. Don't leave us here. That's how we repair. That's what we, that's what we merit. So it's a bracha that the Jewish people should have the peace and serenity that they deserve, that we yearn for, that uh, we should not lose any more precious lives than the ili neshama of our precious soldiers and others, and that uh, Hashem protect our beloved soldiers, brothers and sisters in Israel.